his staff. You shall do my wonders. Well, good morning, Heritage. I'm glad the team is here together in Rock Island. You're joining us from Bettendorf and QC West. One church, three locations coming together around God's word for him to speak to us today. I began to think the other day about some phrases that, that are designed to strike fear into our hearts. I, I thought, I, thought I, could, I could wake up some morning and look at Patty and say, don't move, there's a spider on your pillow. And we live in Leclerc and there are a lot of spiders around there and that would work for her, that would scare her. Patty don't like spiders and snakes and that's not what it takes to make her comfortable and, and it would work. You get a letter from the IRS and open it up, it's not a refund, instead it's an invitation to an audit. I don't care how good your bookkeeping is, that's, it. that's a scary kind of thing. Last week as Sean was starting out the sermon, he's wearing the Denver Broncos Peyton Manning jersey and talking about how he hoped they would win and he thought they would win. And I, I was planning this moment and, and I thought of a scary phrase. I, I, I thought about Peyton Manning stepping up to the line of scrimmage and shouting out, Omaha, Omaha. And, and, and I thought that would be a scary phrase, but apparently the Seahawks defenders do not get frightened by randomly shouted out towns, names of towns in Nebraska. And uh, wow, props to the Seahawks and their fans. I think we have three of them in the church. So yeah. <laughs> Today I want to talk about one more scary uh, sentence or two. To get to it, we have to go back in time about 3,500 years to the wilderness on the far side of the Jordan River, and God is speaking to a guy named Joshua. It's in Joshua chapter 1, and this is what God says to him. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites. Now understand, Joshua was not a novice at leadership. He had been Moses' second in command, his aide. He had been a, a military hero for the Israelites. He was a prayer warrior, a, a God seeker. Do you remember Sean's sermon last week about the 12 spies who were sent to, to explore the promised land and, and they saw the incredible blessings of the land and then they came back to report. And there were 12 of them and 10 of them said, it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants there. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And there are fortified cities there. And they began to spread a bad report. Two guys, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, 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 no. With God, we can do this. But the 10 spies won the day. And the people rebelled and spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. And Caleb and Joshua, the two Spies who'd believed continued to be men of faith. Joshua constantly held out confidence in the power of God. But Moses was an iconic leader. He was bigger than life. It was a Moses who'd announced the ten plagues. It was Moses who at the edge of the Red Sea had held out his staff and the waters parted and I watched that little video clip and thought, it'd be cool to have a stick like that. <laughs> Power of God. It was Moses who had received the word from God that God had selected Joshua as the next leader. 
and that God had anointed him and Moses announced him. The Bible says God's spirit was in him. Moses was an iconic leader. And even though Joshua was chosen by God, there had to be a moment where he, he had some uncertainty. I mean, the people didn't follow Moses all that well, all that much. And now it's my turn. How must he have felt? But he wasn't the only one who must have had some uncertainty. The people must have been a bit uncertain too. Had to be a bit scary for them. They'd only known Moses as their leader. And while they sometimes grumbled and balked at his leadership, they had spent 40 years with Moses as the go-to guy. They'd gone to Moses for when they had a question for God. They'd gone to Moses when they had problems. They'd gone to Moses when they were hungry. And Moses had been the guy through which God had delivered. Put yourself in their shoes. Can Joshua really lead us? Can he do for us what we need? Sure, he's had some successes, but he never had this kind of responsibility. And, and Moses hadn't been able to get us into the promised land. What makes us think Joshua can? There was a moment or two or ten when their uncertainty rose up. If you have your note guide, you can see that the title of today's sermon is Uncertain Certainty. Now, I want to talk about what we can be certain about when we face uncertainty. Decisions we can make confidence that we can have. This is an appropriate time to have this discussion because Heritage is about to experience a season of change. Here's a fact you probably don't think about when you think of Heritage, and that is that all pastors are interim pastors. We tend to think of as an interim pastor as a temporary guy. All pastors are interim pastors. Now you say, what, John? You've been pastor at Heritage for 40 years. Why do you say that? I say, because there were pastors before me, and there will be pastors after me, and I've just been pastor for a season. Now it's been a long season, but it's just a season. This is not John Bray's church. This is God's church. And I've had the helm for a while, but I got the baton from somebody else, and I'll pass the baton to somebody else. That's just how it works. Every pastor has a time when he steps aside. For most churches, it happens every few years. For Heritage, it happens every 40. <laughs> we'll soon come to a place of transition. On the weekend of March 22nd and 23rd, the church will vote on Sean Cosin as our next senior pastor. The last weekend of April, we're planning an installation service where we will install him as senior pastor, and I will become senior pastor emeritus, which basically means old guy. <laughs> and I'm so thrilled. I am so thrilled that God has brought us to this point. Now, I understand that change can create uncertainty. So this month, Sean and I are walking through some of the lessons we can learn from the experience of Israel when Moses handed the leadership to Joshua. We're calling it bold crossings. At Heritage, we do not intend to limp into the future. At Heritage, we will not back into the future. We will not resist the future. We tend to boldly move into God's best future for this church. And to learn some lessons about that, I want us to consider some teachings from Joshua chapter 3. Joshua 3, it says, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. 
And three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them, since you have never traveled this way before. They will guide you. Now, there was an uncertainty moment connected to this wor these words. These were people of the wilderness. They had spent their lives in the wilderness. Their parents had rebelled against God. Their parents, having come to the Jordan River previously and having an opportunity to cross, had said no. And one by one by one, they had died. These were people of the wilderness. They had experienced a few military victories, but, but not that many. They were nomads. And now they were to be engaged in the conquest of an entire region. And they had to be asking themselves, what's this future going to be like? Can we do this? Having never done it, uncertainty was natural. I mean, that's what happens when you've never done something before. Some of you are, old, are young enough to remember the first time you got behind the wheel of a car to drive it. Some of you are old enough to remember when you were in the passenger seat and it was your 16-year-old behind the wheel of the car learning to drive it. There was an uncertainty moment there. Your heart was racing. You thought, is this going to be okay? Are we going to survive this? Some of you remember helping your kids or grandkids first learn to walk and, and you knew they could do it. You'd been walking along with them holding their fingers and after a while it was just one finger and you knew you could let go and this kid would walk. But you let go and that kid just stood there. And at first he tried to sit down and you pulled him back up again. And he went to sit and you pulled him back up again. And you just wanted to nudge him because you knew all he needed to do was take one step or maybe two or three and he would be off and going. But he was uncertain having never done it that way by himself before. This is, must be what the Israelites had faced. They'd never done it that way before. And they asked, can we do this? Let me tell you, when you are unsure about whether you can, here is a certainty that you can cling to. You can stay connected to God. That's a choice you get to make with certainty. I will stay connected to God. The Ark of the Covenant represented that place that the Israelites considered the physical presence of God and His power in this world. That's what the Ark represented. And they had spent a lifetime dreaming of the Promised Land. But they had more questions than they had answers. We're going into territory occupied by the Canaanites and Hittites and Hivites and Perizzites and Gergesites and Amorites and Jebusites. All those ites felt that land was theirs. They weren't just sitting there waiting for Israel to come along and say, excuse me, this land God promised us. Oh, I'm sorry, we'll leave. Give us 10 minutes, we'll be out of here. That wasn't going to happen. People were well settled, well armed. The Israelites had heard stories about giants in the land. Jericho, a massive fortified city, was right over there and would be the first city that they engaged. The Jordan River itself was at flood stage. There must have been people in that group who wanted to know more. Must have been people in that group who said, now explain to me how exactly this is going to work and we're going to do this and then tell me what we're going to do next and tell me what we're going to do next and then tell me what we're going to do next. They wanted more detail. There must have been people who were uncertain. But let me tell you this. As you read the Bible, one of the things that you can learn again and again and again and again is that when you are unsure about the future, you can be sure and certain about God. You may not always understand his every plan. 
You may not understand how standing here, you can connect this dot to that dot to the next dot to the next dot to the next dot to the next dot and know for certain this is how we get there. You may not know that. But God has plans for his people, great plans. And Joshua says, since you don't know everything about the future, follow the ark. Since you don't know everything about the future, stay connected to God. You can make that decision. Now, there are some things we don't have control of, but we can control our commitment to God. And where I am unsure, I can make the decision to stay deeply connected to Him. Now, personally, this is an important reality for me. My life has been in a pretty predictable rhythm for 40 years. Get up in the morning, and I know I'm senior pastor of Heritage Church. Now, I know I have people to see, programs to maintain, dreams to dream, plans to figure out, people to lead, sermons to write. I love preaching, but what I've discovered is that Sundays come with infuriating regularity. They really do. I get done with a sermon on a Sunday and go, <sighs> I go to bed Sunday night and I go, <sighs> Another one's coming. And I'm about to experience a change in all that. Now, this plan of transition is one I conceived. I began thinking about it five, six, seven years ago, knowing that after a long time, we needed to work transition well. And it's one I pulled the trigger on and said, now is the time to start working on it. And I believe it's a God thing. But I will tell you, when we install Sean on April 27th, April 28th will be a different day for me. Now, the Israelites back in the wilderness collected manna every day, you know, Sunday through, through Friday. And on Saturday, the Sabbath, they didn't. But every day, the first thing on the to-do list was get manna. And then it tells us as we read the book of Joshua that they entered into the promised land and the first day they were in the promised land, they got grain from the fields around them and got fruit from the trees around them and they ate from the produce of the land. And the first day they ate from the produce of the land. You know what it says about the manna? The manna stopped. Their to-do list changed the day they crossed the Jordan. And I know the day I cross my Jordan, my to-do list changes. On, on, on April 28th, I'll wake up, and my first thought might be, sermon this week, and then it'll be, no, it's not. <laughs> and I don't know quite how I'll deal with that. It will be a change. I know a couple of things. The church board has been very gracious and generous to the brace. They've given us the incredible gift starting May 1st of a six-month sabbatical. After 40 years of a deep dive of senior leadership, they're giving us the privilege of decompressing in a significant way, of spending time without having to think about the next sermon or the next leadership decision. We'll rest, we'll read, we'll connect with each other, we'll connect with God, we'll do some things to improve our skill sets for the next journey, next part of our leadership journey, of our life journey. And then after six months... Uh, will return to Heritage Church. And uh, my task as senior pastor emeritus will be to serve the senior pastor, a task he gives me. 
He's going to give me some special assignments, special projects. He'll likely share with me, me with the denomination and some global projects as well. And Patty will be retired. She'll step into the role you'll fill. She'll be a volunteer in areas of her giftedness and her interests and where God can use her skill set, just like we want you to do. 20 or so years ago, I heard my brother in a life-changing moment quote Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century British preacher. It was a quote that has stuck with me all these years. Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. And if I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. We don't always understand how God's hand works, how this step goes here to here to here to here to here to here to there. But we can always trust God's heart for us. And trusting his heart, we can make a choice to follow God. Understand something. It is God we follow. It is God we follow. My role has been to hear from God and say, this is the way he tends to be. He, I think he's telling us to go. And that will be Sean's goal. But it is God we follow and we get to choose how closely that is. That's a certainty for each of us. Let's look at verse 6, or verse 5 rather. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. There's an uncertainty, I think, that sticks with us sometimes. And it's this question, how much does my response really matter? How much does my response really matter? I think there's a sneaking suspicion that we have, especially in a big church, that, that one person doesn't matter all that much. And I want to stand here today and say that that simply is not true. Every single person in this church matters in the next, right now and in the next step of our journey. The church is, is a collection of people who are following Jesus. I'm one person God is using, and Sean is a person God is using, and you are people God uses and wants to use even more effectively. You matter. Now, Sean will dig into this a, a little more deeply in a couple of weeks. But we need to understand this is always how God has worked. It's not just the leader, Joshua, who had to cross in the promised land. It's not just the priests who crossed the Jordan into the promised land. It's not just the, the tribal chiefs who crossed into the promised land. It was every single person. God says, purify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. Here's a certainty. When your heart is right with God, God can do great things. When your heart is right... God can do great things. Last week, Sean quoted A.W. Tozer. Tozer said, There is no limit to what God can do through us if we are yielded and purified people. And I will tell you, only you get to decide on your level of purity. Only you get to decide on your level of spiritual investment. Only you get to decide whether you will be fully devoted to God or not. Only you get to decide whether you'll be fully invested in his church to make a difference. You get to decide if you'll have an attitude and a heart that leans in and says, we will make a difference here together for God, or whether you will lean back and have a critical attitude and a critical spirit and be negative about it. You get to decide that. You get to decide if you'll be everything God wants you to be. And whatever you 
don't know about the future, and whatever it is that you maybe would like to be different about the future, God will use you if your heart is fully devoted to him. And you get to make that choice. That's a certainty that I have. Look at verse 7. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites, and they will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. There is an uncertainty in this camp right now. The uncertainty would be, does this new leader have what it takes to lead us? Joshua was wondering the same thing. That's why God told him again and again, be strong and courageous. I'll be with you. Now here's a certainty. You see it again and again through the pages of history. And that is God is always ready to raise up a leader through which he will do his work. He's always ready to raise up a leader through which he will do his work. Moses anointed Joshua, who was able to lead the Israelites to the promised land, something Moses had never been able to do. Elijah passed the torch of leadership to Elisha. And Elisha received a double portion of authority and power. John the Baptist sparked a great revival in Israel. But then he baptized Jesus. And John stepped back and said, he must increase and I must decrease. God has always been in the business of preparing new leaders for new tasks because all leaders have a shelf life. It's easy to assume that the leader you have is the leader you need. It would have been easy for them to assume, we need Moses. But Moses was not the key. God was. Now, they didn't have to forget Moses. He was iconic. But they had to follow Joshua. And God would use Joshua to get them to a place that they had never gotten. And they had only dreamed of. Can I take a personal moment here? I know that a lot of you love me and you love Patty. And we are very appreciative of that. And some of you cannot imagine a church where we are not senior leaders. Some of you have never been part of a church where we're not senior leaders. And I know that there is a temptation sometimes to resist opening your heart to the new guy because it feels a little bit to some of you like a betrayal of the old guy. But you remember those, those of you who have kids, you remember having your first child? And the nurse or the doctor came and put that baby in your arms and all of a sudden your heart just exploded with love. You thought it was just going to burst out of your chest and you thought, I could not possibly love anything more than I love this child this minute. And then after a couple of years, you, you, you thought, we ought to have another baby. But you had this niggling little question, can I possibly love the second one as much as I love the first one? And you wondered if you could until they put that baby in your arms and all of a sudden your heart burst full of love and you said, I love this one just as much. And some of you had a third one and a fourth one. You've loved each kid just as much except by the time you had the fourth one, your first one's hitting junior high and you're not quite sure. No, I'm just teasing about that. <laughs> just teasing about that. And junior high kids, I'm sorry. It was just too easy a joke to pass up. What I've discovered is love is not a quality 
that has a quantitative limit on it. There's more than enough love for me and for Sean as well. And one of the great gifts you could give me is to love him and to lean into his leadership. I believe he is God's gift to this church. I have so much confidence in him. We know he's a great preacher already. But I've sat with him in countless leadership and management moments. And I will tell you, he may be even better there. He's smart, he's analytical, he's practical, he's spiritual, he is articulate. He's able to take complex problems and break them down into simple this and this and this in ways, manageable bites. And I will tell you, as far as I can tell, he is the real deal. God's gift to Heritage Church. And my prayer, my dream, is for five or ten years from now. Now, Pat and I are taking our sabbatical, and then we'll come back and we'll be here for a while longer. But I guarantee you something, in the last couple of weeks, I got up and said, I'm not spending my lifetime in this weather. <laughs> and I know there's someday in the future when, when uh, I will move someplace warmer. God allows it. But my dream, my prayer is that five years from now, ten years from now, we'll drive back to the Quad Cities on a visit. And what we will discover is a church that Sean has led across the Jordan into a promised land. And that this church will have been a church of significance and power and influence in ways that we have dreamed of, but not yet got to. God has done significant things with this church, but there is so much more for us. And I will walk in in my dreams and in the faith I see about the future and say thank God for Sean and thank God for his leadership and thank God that the people of Heritage have followed and God has done great things. That's my dream. But first, there's one more uncertainty. Look with me once again at Joshua chapter 3. Verse 8, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And it was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark reached the river and touched the water at the river's edge... The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the river was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Here's the deal. The people are on the wilderness side of the Jordan, and the ark is going to move, and the priests carrying it move, and they get to the edge of the Jordan. And it is at flood stage. In the crossing of the Red Sea, Moses stands there and holds out the staff. And the wind starts to blow, and it blows all night and blows back the water. And 
creates a dry land path before anybody puts their feet in the water. People would have been really happy if that's what God had done here at Jordan. But that's not what he did. He, the river's at flood stage, and he says, when you put your foot in the water, it will stop. But Lord, what if I get washed away? Put your feet in the water. But Lord, what, what if it doesn't work? Put your feet in the water. And they had to take a step of faith. There's this uncertainty that comes to most people. And the question is, what if God does not come through? What, is God, what if God does not come through for me? What if I take a risk and he does not come through? Well, there's a dumb statement that people sometimes say. The dumb statement is the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And when people say that, I want to say, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read church history? A couple of years ago, I was in Israel and we were in Caesarea. We were there in a Roman development, in a Colosseum, our feet in the sand before the stands. And it was the place where Christians were first fed to lions. All they had to do was recant. All they had to do was say Caesar was Lord. And they didn't. And I stood there in that sand and I imagined that day as the lions came out from the tunnels and tore them to pieces. And I asked the question, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will? Nah. But I will tell you the best place to be is in the center of God's will. The wisest place to be is in the center of God's will. There is no better place to be than in the center of God's will. And you cannot be sure of everything in the center of God's will. And you might find yourself in places of risk. You may find yourself in places of uncertainty. But here is the certainty you can be sure of. And that is... You get to make a choice. And the choice will be this. As you stand at the edge of the Jordan, as you stand at the edge of change, you can say, I will. I will take a step of faith. And I will take a step of obedience. And I will do what I know God wants me to do. And I may not understand everything about it, but I will trust myself to God and to his plan. The question I have for you is, what uncertainty is keep you from following God today? Maybe... When you talk about the church, it's the uncertainty about next steps. And you know what it's like to be in a church that's led by John. But what it will be like to be in a church that's led by Sean? Don't know. I'm pretty confident it'll be good. Lean into it. Take that step of faith and obedience to say, I will follow the man that God has put in this place. But maybe for you, there's something personal. Maybe for you, God has nudged you towards a step of obedience. And you have resisted. If I give up that, what will I be? If I give up that, what will happen? If I surrender my control, will I be okay? Let me tell you something. Control is mostly an illusion. It really is. What makes more sense is to surrender ourselves into the hands of the one who is in control. And who plans the best for us. 
So may I give you a challenge over the next several months? In this time of uncertainty, there are three things I want to challenge you to do. First of all, I want to challenge you to read the Word every day. What you might do is spend the first month just reading the first 12 chapters of the book of Joshua. Read them over and over and over and over again and and begin to immerse yourself in the plans of God and what He has done. What God says is more important than opinion. Secondly, I challenge you to commit yourself to prayer every day. Pray for Sean every single day. I believe God has given us a gifted leader, but it is not, the church of Jesus Christ does not just advance because they have strong leaders. The church of God advances on its knees. We need God's power, and without God's power, we're toast. The third thing is take every step of obedience you know. Every step of obedience you know to take, take that. You cannot be entirely sure about the outcome, but you can be certain about your obedience, about your commitment, and you can be sure God cares because He always cares. Uncertain certainty. Lots we don't know. We are certain God is in this, and we will go forward with Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I bow before you right now so humbled by the blessing you have given this church in bringing us a leader like Sean Cousin. I am so humbled by the privilege of taking the baton that I have carried for 40 years and putting it in his hands. I am so thankful for your care for this congregation and your people. And I am so confident about them that they will step up and say, God, we are here. We open ourselves to your purifying work. Purify anything that gets in the way. And Lord, we will look forward to the wonders that you will do in this congregation as we boldly cross into the land of promise. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. If you stand with us, we continue to sing together. Thank you.
keep worshiping together as the ushers come and receive this morning's tithes and offerings.
invite you actually just to have a seat for just a moment. Uh, normally we, we kind of finish off with a couple songs and then kind of send you guys on your way, but um, there's a couple things going on in the life of our church that I just want to make you aware of, and uh, these are kind of different than our normal, uh, just regular announcements, and so I just wanted to take some unique time to do that. Um, the first is that um, Calvary International Church um, is a church that we've been partnering with for a while now and supporting financially and just helping with leadership and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the things we talk about here at Heritage is saying we want to live loved, linked, and sent. And so we've really linked with this church and helping them. And this Sunday in 10 minutes, they're going to hold their very first service in their new building. And so that's just a huge, um, just praising God moment. Um, they're crazy excited. Um, the building's not completely done, but the worship space and center part that they're gonna be meeting in um, is done and ready to go. And so, um, and there, we would love to have any of you uh, stop by for that. Uh, make sure to grab some food before you go, because you probably won't eat for a long time if you stay for the whole service, just an FYI. But um, they'll be meeting there um, at noon for the rest of the Sundays going on. So if you can't do today, um, maybe next week or the week after that would be a great time just to stop by, just say hi, um, and just uh, enjoy the, uh, the fellowship and just the great partnership that we're starting to form with them. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, as we say, live loved, linked, and sent. Um, we have a couple from our church that is leaving um, to go to the Czech Republic. Um, there on the screen, you can see this is Bobby and Shannon Carr. Um, they have attended Heritage for a while now and have served in all sorts of different volunteer capacities, but they're getting ready. Actually, they're probably on a plane right now um, to the Czech Republic um, to serve for two years there with some ministry partners that we already have on ground there. And so um, it's just one of those great things of saying that God is moving and doing great things in the life of the hearts of the people here at Heritage and um, sending people just to great places. So we're going to take a moment uh, before we close um, to pray for them. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the great things you're doing in and through us here at Heritage Church. Um, God, this is not things that's for us or for a name um, that we feel like we should have for ourselves. But God, this is all for you and for your glory, for your name. And so we're thankful for people like Bobby and Shannon who are ready to step out and to go into these places uh, that it's probably unsure for them. Um, they've been going through training and all those kind of things. But God, that there's always that unknown and so, but they are, they're doing what we've been talking about, stepping out boldly into places of you. And uh, so we just pray that you would be with them, give them safety 